there, listeners. Welcome to today's episode of E Pluribus Unum. I want to quickly follow up on something I talked about. I think last week I was talking about an article from Book Riot, six books you should read to learn more about Judaism. And the premise of the author, who wasn't Jewish, was that it's not the responsibility of Jews to teach their friends or co-workers about Judaism. It's the responsibility of the non-Jewish people to go and learn about Judaism. The reason Jews are considered the chosen people is not because we're chosen for special privileges, but we're chosen for special responsibilities. And our responsibility is to teach the world about ethical monotheism, which includes like teaching people about Judaism, not necessarily to convert people to Judaism, but to teach them who we are and what we do and how we live in hopes of influencing other people in that way. I made a lot of other points why I thought that article didn't make sense, but thinking about it even more, the idea that Jews actually are supposed to teach about Judaism came to mind. So that was just something interesting. Also, something that's been on my mind is the more that I do this podcast, the more empathy and sympathy I have for other people who talk for a living. For instance, politicians or actors or really anyone who is talking off the cuff and makes a flub, it happens so easily. And, you know, people jump all over politicians for the tiniest gaffe. Like when President Obama said, he was talking about the United States, and he said that there are 57 states. Sometimes your mind just says stupid things. Now, some politicians might do it so frequently that it could be indicative of something else. But also some, you might be a really great politician, like a good policymaker, and not a good speaker. I think there should be a little bit of forgiveness in that sense. But anyone who's talking off the cuff and uses the wrong word, or whose grammar is off, or just says something that, you know, like 57 United States, I totally understand it because I know that I have used words incorrectly because it is hard to talk off the cuff, especially when I don't have a co-host and it's just me talking into my phone. Uh, I also start to understand the frustration of listeners to podcasts and radio shows who really want the speaker to get to a certain topic and the speaker's frustration of really wanting to get to a topic and then something else comes up that they want to talk about, or especially if they're covering news. Like I had something really planned out for today, and I am going to try to get to it. But then I was listening to something over the weekend to another podcast, and it brought up an idea that has been percolating in my mind for a long time, and something that I wanted to revisit. So I'm going to revisit that, and then hopefully I'll get to the previously planned topic. And if I don't get to that today, I'll certainly get to it for another day. The idea that's been percolating in my head was brought to the forefront by another podcast I was listening to. The podcast is called Behind the Bima, and it's hosted by three rabbis out of Boca Raton, Florida. They have interviews with different people in the Jewish community, from comedians to restaurateurs to lawyers, doctors, everyone, a whole host of people. And they talk to them about their work, but they also talk to them about their Judaism primarily and how their Judaism influences the work they do. It's a really fascinating podcast they have on great speakers, and it's really not political. For instance, they had on Ben Shapiro, but they didn't talk to Ben Shapiro about his politics. They talked to Ben Shapiro about his Judaism. I was listening the other day to an interview they did with someone whose name is Marvell Joseph. And this interview, I think, was back in May or June. He's a very interesting guy. So 
he actually isn't Jewish. He was Haitian born, or at least his family is Haitian, but he was raised in Florida and he's a recent college graduate. He works for APAC, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, and he works with them specifically in the Maccabi Task Force. From what it sounded like on the podcast, that task force specifically goes around to college campuses to teach people about Israel. Again, so he's not Jewish, this man, Marvell Joseph, but he was raised in Florida. A lot of his friends were Jews. So he's very familiar with the Jewish community, a huge friend to the Jewish community, a huge friend to Israel. And then the interviewers started asking him about some of the movements that were going on last summer about race, Black Lives Matter protests and riots and all of that. And he was commenting on how it's very hard for him to be a black man in America, how he has to act differently than white people do, how he has always had to work harder than white people to get where he is. And it really struck me. Now, I hear people say that all the time, that it's very hard for them as a black person to do X, Y, and Z in this country compared to what life is for a white person. I often dismiss it. But in this case, I had to stop and think because here's a guy who's clearly intelligent and empathetic and open-minded. I think he he came to a love of Israel on his own and he's understanding and he listens to people. So he's someone worth listening to. So when he said that, I had to pause and think, okay, here's someone who truly and honestly believes and feels that life is harder for him as a black man than life would be if he were white. How am I trying to say this? So many people say that. That it can't be ignored that people truly feel that way. I don't doubt that many people feel that way. I think the question is whether or not that's the actual truth. Dr. Drew put it really well a couple of weeks ago, and I wish I wrote it down, but his sentiment was along the lines of people are confusing the fact that their feelings are valid with the idea that means the situation is true. Basically, people might really feel that their life is harder because they're Black. Once one starts to see the world in that way, one will continue to see the world in that way. But that doesn't mean it's true. So I'll make it a little bit more personal. I have an acting teacher who often in my acting class, I have a soft voice. You can hear it. I am kind of shy. That might surprise you, but I am. And sometimes that would come through in my acting. Also, it's nerve wracking to get up on stage, even in front of your friends. So all of those things combined, sometimes I wouldn't be as full and open as I could be. My teacher, in a very good-natured way, would say, I understand why you are this way. You come from a conservative religious background. The world tells women to be quiet. Maybe your family was always telling you, oh, Emily, you know, women are better seen and not heard. You have all of that in your mind, and I totally understand, but here it's okay to break free from that. I tried to tell him a few times, and then it just became pointless that that wasn't the case, that actually I had never been told that I was being too loud or that I shouldn't share my opinions or anything like that because I'm a woman, not from my family, not from my community, not from anyone. But he truly believed it, that that was the way the world worked. And then I wondered how many women were in a similar position who had not necessarily faced discrimination because they were women, but had been told so often that they would face discrimination because they were women, that they eventually started viewing the world through that lens of people are discriminating against me because I'm a woman. So then when they don't get a job or don't get the promotion or someone is rude to them in a coffee shop or a policeman pulls them over or whatever, starts to think, oh, it's because I'm a woman. And I wonder if the same thing isn't true for black people or people of other races who feel that they are marginalized by society. Is it 
that they are truly marginalized because of their race? Or is it that they see the world through that lens? And once you have that lens on the world, one can perceive any slight as being that. Adam Carolla always says that his white privilege is knowing that people are just jerks meaning that he's had rude encounters with people, but he knows that they're not being rude to him because he's white. They're just being rude because they're rude, whether it's policemen or sales associates or someone on the street. But a black person, in his explanation of things, thinks it's about race, when the truth is there are just jerks in this world. I don't know if I've said it plainly enough in the past, so I'm going to make it very clear here. There is racism in the world. I don't know if we can ever truly eliminate it in this world, because it is an evil that pervades some people's hearts. And I don't know that in this world, until the Messiah comes, or until we get into the next world, whatever a world looks like that is a truly godly world, I don't know that without that we can fully eliminate evil from people's hearts, whether it's the evil of racism, or of pedophilia, or other kinds of violence, or whatever it is. That is not to say that I don't think we shouldn't do everything possible to fight against racism and discrimination of any kind when we see it, whether it's telling someone, you know, don't say that comment or don't use that word that's offensive, or fixing the establishments that do things improperly that are discriminatory. Absolutely, we should fight against it because even if we can't fully eliminate it, that doesn't mean we don't try. We don't know if we can fully get rid of cancer, but we try. So, I just want to make it clear that I absolutely think that we should fight against it and work against discrimination everywhere that we see it. I still don't believe that there is a systemic racism problem in this country, certainly not more than in other countries, and I would argue demonstrably less than in most other countries around the world, but we should work against it where we see it. But I think back to the topic of how we view the world, we don't have to view the world through a lens that everything is racist to see racism. And in fact, I think it's better to not view the world through that lens because then we can see where it really exists. This is why I don't really like using the term racist for every comment that someone makes that's off color. And I don't like when people compare every bad thing to the Nazis. I don't like when every sexual assault is called rape because they're not all rape and not every bad person is a Nazi and not every inappropriate comment about race is racist. But if we call everything the most extreme thing, then we won't be able to see it when it's really, truly there. Anyway, that's just been something on my mind. I really feel and try to be empathetic and try to be open-minded to the people who feel that this country and its institutions are against them. That pains me so much that people feel that way. And I want to help. I don't really know what to do because it seems like presenting people with facts doesn't work because then people argue against the facts. And I can listen, but ultimately to solve a problem, one can't just listen, one has to then try to work on it. But if we don't even agree on the premise, it makes it really hard to work towards a solution. I don't know that there's any answer to that, but it's something that's been on my mind for a while. And I just wanted to bring up again because of the, the episode that I was listening to. My originally scheduled notes for today. So I'm still a little bit stuck on those Instagram comments, not stuck on them emotionally. I'm not stressed about them anymore. 
I haven't received any further comments. But those comments reminded me of an instance that my husband and I had about five months ago or so. We were walking around outside somewhere in a city that we weren't familiar with, so we and we were not wearing masks. We were outside. A woman passed us on the sidewalk, and as she passed us, she just sneered at us, masks, and kept she kept walking as she said it, and we didn't put on our masks. And like I said, we were outside in a city we weren't familiar with. Some people were wearing masks, some weren't. We didn't see any signs definitively that made it clear whether or not we were supposed to wear masks outside or only inside. It was the middle of summer and it was humid. So since we saw other people not wearing masks outside, we didn't wear masks. And then this woman decided to sneer at us as she walked by. It just got me thinking, why on earth do people think that yelling at people is going to change their behavior or name calling or anything negative? Why do we think that that is the way to fix people's behavior? We might change people's behavior in that moment. We might scare people into submission, right? You can yell at a kid and they might do the thing that you tell them to do, but you haven't changed their behavior. You haven't explained to them anything. So they'll do it that one time because they don't like being yelled at, but tomorrow or when you turn your back, they are going to go back to what they did before. Why would I listen to someone who is yelling at me instead of someone who's talking kindly to me? And I think this goes back to all those bogus apologies that people have to give when they say something offensive or tweet the wrong thing. They're cowed into submission because they're afraid of losing their jobs or because millions of random people on Twitter tell them what a horrible person they are. And, you know, sometimes people's families and lives get threatened. So yeah, when you're faced with violence, of course, you're going to apologize or change in that moment. But have you changed someone's heart when you yell at them? Unlikely. And if you have changed their heart, you've probably only changed it, or should I say hardened it, even further against you. Someone yells at me, some stranger yells at me for some mistake I'm making. The only thing they do when they yell at me and get angry is cause me to dislike them even more or to begin to dislike them. I'm not going to start liking someone because they yell at me. There's a very interesting story I heard someone recently also on a podcast and I don't remember which podcast, but it's an interesting story. A woman left the Westboro Baptist Church. That is the church. And I put church in quotes because an organization like that really takes God's name in vain by using something religious and twisting it to what religion or Christianity specifically does not mean at all. But they're the church that protests at soldiers' funerals and hates gay people, and they're just bad people. They were at my school once. I'm trying to remember what they were there for, probably protesting some gay something or other. I don't know. But there was a woman who left it, And in the interview with her on the podcast, she said that the reason she was able to leave was because people, she must have posted something somewhere online and then strangers replied to her, but these strangers were replying to her with love and with open arms and with understanding. They weren't just berating her for the terrible things she did. And she probably did do really, not terrible things, but pretty nasty things. She was raised in this church. But people reached out to her with love. And because people reached out to her in that way, she responded better and was able to leave the church. I think that's just a really telling story that it was because people contacted her with respect and love that she was truly able to change and transform and become a better person. In a somewhat similar vein, 
though possibly not with the same outcome, there was a principal of a public school in Florida who had made some comments that denying the Holocaust or something having to do with him being a Holocaust denier. This I also heard on the podcast Behind the Bima, and one or two of the rabbis from that podcast actually had the opportunity to talk with this principal who had been fired, reinstated, and then I think fired again for his comments. And the rabbis took the opportunity to talk to him. The rabbis in their follow-up to the interview said that it didn't seem that they had changed this principal's mind, but they tried and they showed him that Jews are good, kind, open people who are willing to listen and talk. Maybe that's the takeaway here. Not every woman is going to be that woman from Westboro Baptist Church who responds so positively to positivity. Some people will reject it because they are so set in their ways. But if we have such an opportunity to correct or to encounter someone who has done something hateful or mean or whatever the case may be, we have an opportunity to expose them to the good side of us or to the bad side of us. So for instance, and I'll give one more example. There was a story recently in the area where I am of a kid who was uh, painting swastikas around town, teenage kid. At home, we were joking like, oh, let's go beat him up. But I said, man, I would love to talk to him because I think he was somewhere between 17 and 19. So he's a young kid who should know better. Absolutely. But at that age, unfortunately, some people are raised in such a way that they don't really have, you know, they're just raised by their parents or the community that they're in and they haven't maybe had the opportunity to meet other people yet. So he's young enough that his mind could still be changed. And I thought, how amazing if I could go meet him as a Jew and explain to him why what he was doing was so offensive, and then also give him a good experience with a Jewish person, because this could be someone who's very anti-Jewish, but maybe he's never met a Jew. Maybe he's just heard stories, terrible stories about what Jewish people are like. But what if he could meet a Jew and have a good conversation? That might change his mind. So we might not always be able to change people's minds, but at least we can give them a true insight into the goodness of people and when it's directed against a specific group, the goodness of a specific group. So we can give a racist the opportunity to meet with a black person who's good and kind and loving or you know, an anti-Jewish person, the opportunity to meet with a Jew who's good and kind and loving, a homophobe, the opportunity to meet with a gay person who's kind and good and loving. You understand. So we might not be able to change everyone, but at least we can make ourselves look, our group and ourselves look good. Instead of making our group and ourselves look worse, which just feeds into the hatred that some people already feel and certainly won't solve anything. We may not solve anything with love and patience and understanding, but we certainly won't change anyone with hatred and vitriol and calling them names and yelling at them. Just something to think about, something that has been on my mind. And that's what I like to do here with this podcast, share things with you that have been on my mind, things that I'm thinking about. Then hopefully it gives you something to think about and we can all be thinking together, which is important because being a person, a good person, is a lifelong journey and we have to constantly work at it. And we have to think new thoughts and read different ideas and hear different people so that we can grow and become the best people possible. I want to end today with a story that I read in Joseph Telushkin's book of Jewish Values, because as I read it, 
It actually made me cry, and hopefully it will inspire you today. This book is broken down to quick lessons for each day. So the lesson of the day was, he who saves a single life, it is as if he saved an entire world. And that comes from the Mishnah. This story that he relates is actually from another book by Rabbi Lawrence Kushner. The book is called Invisible Lines of Connection, and this is the story. I'm just going to read it straight to you. A light snow was falling and the streets were crowded with people. It was Munich in Nazi Germany. One of my rabbinic students, Shifra Penzias, told me her great aunt, Sussi, had been riding a city bus home from work when SS stormtroopers suddenly stopped the coach and began examining the identification papers of the passengers. Most were annoyed, but a few were terrified. Jews were being told to leave the bus and get into a truck around the corner. My student's great-aunt watched from her seat in the rear as the soldiers systematically worked their way down the aisle. She began to tremble, tears streaming down her face. When the man next to her noticed that she was crying, he politely asked her why. I don't have the papers you have. I am a Jew. They're going to take me. The man exploded with disgust. He began to curse and scream at her. You stupid bitch, he roared. I can't stand being near you. The SS men asked what all the yelling was about. Damn her! the man shouted angrily. My wife has forgotten her papers again. I'm so fed up. She always does this. The soldiers laughed and moved on. My student said that her great aunt never saw the man again. She never even knew his name. I was just touched by the the courage and the quick thinking. And we really can make a difference in this world. We might not be able to change the whole world. If we're lucky, we can change even one life or save even one life. As the missioner reminds us, he who saved a single life, it is as if he saved an entire world. We should work to make the world better, but we shouldn't be discouraged if we don't make the whole world better. But if we can be the light in one person's world, help make their world better, that is still an amazing accomplishment. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your week. As a reminder, please follow me on Instagram at conservative Jewish female and my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. I hope today's episode made you think or brought some clarity and positivity to your day. Subscribe to the show to always get the most recent episode directly to your device. Please leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family, friends, or anyone you think might benefit from a little Torah wisdom and conservative thoughts. For more of my thoughts and ideas I share from others, please follow me on Instagram at conservativejewishfemale or read my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com. The intro-outro music is Chopin's Waterfall Etude. Have a great day!